the Oscar goes and to. And the Oscar goes and the Oscar to. Goes to. My only object in being here is to try and get at the truth. What shall I go? What shall I do? He's looking at you, kid. Frankly, my dear, I don't give a damn. I could have been a contender. Fasten yourself. I could have been somebody. They can only kill me with a golden bullet. What have I done? Call me Mr. Tibbs. I'm gonna make him an offer. Oh, really? Love is his ass. Love. Too weak a word. Stay back. I loathe you. I love you. I love you. I did as you said. Don't lie! If there's something wrong, it's wrong with the instructions. This ain't reality TV! Respect it and validate it. Remember that you told me? It's time, Robbie. Welcome to the next Best Picture Podcast. Moonlight. Best Picture. Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 36 of the Next Best Picture Podcast. I am your host, Matt Neglia, and joining me today once again is the original trio. We have Michael Schwartz. Hello, everyone. And we also have Will Mavity. Hey, guys. Gentlemen, gentlemen, gentlemen. Uh, we have a lot of stuff to talk about, a lot of stuff to cover this week. We have news, we got fan questions, we have a trailer to, to discuss, but I want to talk about something first and foremost. I want to get something out there, out in the open. May 4th is coming. Do we all know what this means? That was really tone deaf. I was trying to do the Star Wars theme. Wow, wow. I, I, if you were able to pull that off, that would have been the most impressive thing I've heard in the last week or so. You know, sometimes I can. It's too early for that, though, in the morning. I hear you on that one. But listen, Star Wars, um, May 4th, uh, I thought this would be a really good opportunity for us all to talk about um, – the Star Wars series for a moment here in terms of um, the Oscars. You know, I mean, Star Wars has really not been a best picture player uh, in quite some time. So many people thought it was going to happen with uh, Force Awakens. And I remember during that time of year, um, we actually weren't really talking, uh, the, th- the three of us. So I'm really curious about like when Force Awakens was having that whole best picture push. Uh, what did, what were your thoughts on that? And also how, did, you know, how you felt Critics' Choice handled that scenario? What did you guys think? You know, I was all for The Force Awakens getting a best picture nomination until I actually saw it. Um, and once I actually saw it, that's that's meant to be mildly funny. Um, <laughs> once, once I saw it, I, I didn't think it was anything we would consider an Oscar contender. It was very enjoyable, but the reason it was so accessible and enjoyable, as many people pointed out, was that it was literally a reboot of A New Hope, the little bit of Return of the Jedi thrown in there. Um, I thought that was one of the instances where a Star Wars film got the nominations it deserved, with the exception of I would maybe add in production design in that case. But no, I, I think it was that, particularly with some of the other, you know, uh, semi mainstream films, you know, like Ex Machina and Sicario that were competing for those same slots at the PGA and stuff. I think Force Awakens did about as well as it should have. What about you, Mike? Yeah, you know what? I'm coming to The Force Awakens two years ago as someone who thinks Star Wars is fine. I saw the movies twice before, and I'm never really immersed in that world. So I really just thought it was a fun movie. It was great for what it was. I don't think it needed a Best Picture nomination. I'm, I'm glad it didn't get it at the Oscars. But I like the tech nominations that it got, just like you said. And if it did end up getting a nomination, look, it wouldn't have been the end of the world. It would have been a better nominee than something like The Blind Side, in my opinion. But you know what? I think it got exactly what it needed. And if these films start to improve even more with The Last Jedi, 
I'll wait until then to make a judgment decision, but we'll see. Yeah, and I, if one of them's really good, let me tell you, I would be so hyped if a Star Wars film was good enough to get a Best Picture nomination. Like, if The Last Jedi blows us away or something, the inner five-year-old in me would shit himself. So, let it be said that I really would love for that to happen. Stranger Things have happened. Uh, yes, Stranger Things season one has happened on Netflix, Michael. But <laughs> um, Did anybody else heading into Oscar evening um, have Force Awakens marked off to win Best Visual Effects? I think everyone did. I didn't. What did you have, Michael? I had Mad Max. Mm. Yeah, I, I remember I was going back and forth between Mad Max, Star Wars, and The Revenant for a while. I remember. And you're like, oh, X Machina. Just put that in fifth place. Yeah, basically, exactly. <laughs> but like, think think about it. It had uh, it swept the Visual Effects Society. It had uh, the BAFTA for visual effects. You know, it it had basically a set of precursor awards that all but guaranteed it the win. It's also uh, the biggest movie of all time, and in your mind, you're like, oh, there's no way they're gonna let Star Wars go empty-handed. They did. <laughs> I know. <laughs> it's nuts to me. Um, do you guys remember when like there were whispers uh, for like a brief second about Harrison Ford? I think that was during the first trailer when he goes, Chewie, we're home. And everyone's like, oh, my God, he's going to have this part. Mm-hmm. And it didn't really pan out that way. There could have been a narrative had he had some more scenes to work with. But there was no reason for them to go with what they had. I you know, I actually thought he was really good in it. You know, I, I thought generally it was all things considered for a blockbuster for the most part extremely well acted too. Oh yeah, absolutely. I thought Oscar Isaac was fantastic in that. Yeah, I, I look forward to seeing them beef up his character a lot. But yeah, no, I I that's what I keep saying, Matt. Like until I actually saw it, I was so on board with the Oscar narrative. I was so on board with the uh the whole Harrison Ford supporting actor narrative. I feel like people were like I've never I can't remember the last time I saw a anticipation get tuned to a fever pitch for a movie like that. People really wanted it to be a major above the line Oscar contender. Like yeah, I I do remember that narrative, and I guess that's why obviously um, groups like the Critics' Choice decided um, as soon as it came out to rework the rules and why some of them like. AFI and um, the Utah critics held off voting until it had come out. People wanted it so badly to be a contender. Yeah. Uh, moving uh, around in time for a minute, let's head back to 1977. Um, Star Wars comes out. It's a cultural phenomenon. Um, pretty much changes the filmmaking industry. Uh, Star Wars goes on to win six competitive Oscars, uh, seven in total, however. Uh, the six that won competitively were Best Art Direction, Costume Design, Film Editing, Score, Sound, and visual effects. The seventh Oscar was a special achievement one for sound effects editing, uh, which went to sound designer Ben Burt. Um, I know, right? Does anybody have any qualms with any of these wins whatsoever, or do we all feel that they're totally deserved? Yeah, I mean, you can't really argue with many of them. You know, the ones that didn't get were uh, Best Supporting Actor for Alec Guinness, um, Best Screenplay Original for George Lucas, Director, and Best Picture, uh, famously losing out to Annie Hall, Woody Allen's film. I'm looking at some of the competition here from that year of what uh, lost to Star Wars, and nothing really jumps out as, oh, this really had to win. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, I uh, I wouldn't have minded seeing Alec Guinness win for his Obi Wan. Uh, it's 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 not you know an all time great performance, but it's certainly an iconic one. I think Alec Guinness would have killed himself if he had won for that because he already hated that everybody, you know, all these great roles he played over his career and for the rest of his life, all anyone would say is, oh my God, you're Obi-Wan Kenobi. So, I mean, but yeah, you know, like I think Jason Robards had already won the, the year, year before. before. Yeah. Yeah. And the funny thing is, have either of you seen Julia? No. Okay. Julia is actually one of my favorite movies. And as much as I love it, the Jason Robards part in that movie as a Dashiell Hammond is so minuscule, like you could have the whole movie without him and it would be the same movie. I've heard that. It's, I mean, he's fine. It's not like it's an actively bad performance. There's just not much to it. So I guess, I mean, I probably would have given it to Maximilian Schell instead. But Alec Guinness in there, yeah, I agree. He probably would have been mortified if he had won for that role. Moving over four years into the future for a moment too. Uh, the Empire Strikes Back, 1981, regarded by many as probably the best Star Wars film. Huge difference with the Academy here. Uh, wins uh, the Oscars for sound mixing and uh, special effects, which was a special achievement Oscar. Uh, nominated for Best Original Score for John Williams uh, and also Best Production Design. Um, that's it. You know, I mean, we have a we have a very very big drop here from the original film. Uh, do we feel that that's warranted? No, this was the best of the series. I'm gonna be honest. I totally nominate this film for picture and director and for cinematography. You know, it is such a step up in production quality as well as in story. The, yeah, when it comes to Star Wars, typically I tend to turn off my pretentious film critic side because of my the the inner child. But no, Empire Strikes Back remains far and away the best of the series. Um, there's so many. Honest, honestly, it's Harrison Ford that is the best he ever played almost any role. You know, that is where Han Solo really is Han Solo as we know him. To the point I would almost, that's the film I would almost consider having Harrison Ford get supporting actor traction for, uh, for nomination at least. Yeah, it, it's, it's so good. And I think, you know, it wasn't maybe the groundbreaking phenomenon that the original Star Wars was, but I think it is certainly the better film. So believe it or not, even my uh, the sci-fi side of me that doesn't get a lot of play lately with some of these big budget films, uh, you might be surprised to hear me say, I think it deserved a Best Picture nomination. I really do. Wow. This is how you do a blockbuster movie. This is how you do it right. You care about the characters. You don't go overboard with the CG. You know how to make it work and have it appeal to people on an intellectual level, but also go to their heart. So I wouldn't have given it the win. I think Ordinary People is still my favorite that year by a mile. But Empire Strikes Back is an achievement that deserves to be ranked among the best films of that year. And now we fast forward again to uh, The Return of the Jedi, um, which was the final film in the original trilogy here. Um, and this film is admittedly <laughs> nowhere near as good as the first two films. 
whatsoever. Except for the ending. I love the ending. Yes, I think a lot of people would agree that the ending is uh, phenomenal. Um, and the whole standoff between Luke and Vader um, really has um, such an emotional catharsis to it. I get chills. Yeah, being that it's been built up for two films now. So this film uh, got a Special Achievement Award for Visual Effects. Um, it had a nomination for Best uh, Art Direction. And Ben Burt uh, received nomination for uh, Best Sound Effects Editing. Uh, oh, lovely John Williams uh, back for Best Original Score. And also the film had a Best Sound Mixing nomination as well. So one win um, and then one, two, three, four nominations on top of that. So not bad. Not a bad haul there. Why did none of these films, uh, only one Star Wars film has ever gotten a Best Makeup nomination? You know, obviously... Oh my ma- god, I know. That is that is criminal. Makeup didn't exist for the original, but like, you know, since then, you know, the category's been around since 81, they just... All, all, like, and I think Return of the Jedi is a prime example. That is, you know, all those creatures in Jabba's palace, for example, I mean, that film is a makeup showcase. It's shocking that that nor almost any other of the later films, almost always deserving films, ever got a makeup nomination. So I think, with the exception of Revenge of the Sith, I think it's worth mentioning that Return of the Jedi deserved a makeup nomination, as did the others. And I don't know what the, the branches maybe disdain for the franchises because they never seem to make the shortlist either. Yeah, that's a mystery to me. Like Darth Maul later on, you know, that's great makeup. Yeah. Absolutely. And, you know, to your point there mentioning uh, Darth Maul, um, even really, really, really shitty, terrible films can get Oscar nominations as was proven in 1999 with the release of The uh, Phantom Menace. Wait, before we say that, did we think Return of the Jedi deserved anything else other than it got? No. I'm not high on Return of the Jedi. Did any of you guys think the cinematography in the original trilogy was worth mentioning? Uh, Empire Strikes Back. Yeah, Empire Strikes Back is astonishingly shot. Okay. We, yeah, I, I would agree with that one. But will we give it the win or just a nomination? Just a nomination. Just a nomination, yeah. But yeah. some of those shots are so good. When Luke and Vader are facing off... Um, the blues and orange. Oh in my there. god, Oof. yeah. I love the final shot when they're looking out. Oh, just at the galaxy yeah. from the spaceship. Yeah, that is such a good shot. And like a lot of the Hoth stuff too. You feel the cold. There's so much fog swirling mm-hmm. up. And what is it, like Cloud City that they go to? Mm-hmm. Bespin, yeah. Okay. So we <laughs> we've we've jerked off to Empire Strikes Back <laughs> again, but I guess on to Phantom Menace. Yep, we gotta cut off the dick now of the Phantom Menace. Um three nominations here. Best sound editing, best visual effects, best sound mixing, famously losing all three of them to the Matrix. I have zero problems with that whatsoever, except to say I don't think it should have gotten nominations even <laughs> anyway, you know what I mean? Um You don't think so? I, oh dude, I I, I hate the Phantom Menace so much. Well, yeah, no, I, I understand. Like, it, it pissed all over a lot of people's childhoods. Um, I was I was five when it came out, so when I was five, I thought it was amazing. But, you know, I, I, I get the hatred for it. But, uh, you know, in general, like, it had very strong visual effects work. Like, Jar Jar Binks is horrible, but it was pretty impressive to have a fully CGI character. 
And like the the sound work is very good. It's technically well made. The final fight is the only part of the film that is legitimately impressive and it's very well executed. Uh, the makeup on characters like Darth Maul and all the new Jedi Council members, you know, it, it should have gotten a makeup nomination, I think, particularly because they had four nominees. Why not just have five? Like that year, there's four makeup nominees for some reason. Um, so I, I think, and honestly, that's John Williams really bringing it home with some good music again. The Duel of the Fates score. That was already a strong year for original score, so maybe he didn't deserve a nomination there. But the Duel of the Fates is an iconic theme. Really good for a terrible movie. You know what I'm talking about? That's like my ultimate go into the bathroom song. <laughs> it just makes everything feel so much more epic. Yeah. Yeah, I, I don't want to spend too much time on this. I hate this movie uh, with a passion. <laughs> I saw it once, and that was right before uh, Revenge of the Sith opened, when I was catching up with the entire franchise for the first time. I don't remember anything about it, really, except for some of the characters' faces, uh, Darth Maul, like you said. Uh, I doubt I'll be revisiting it, but on a technical level, hey, it's fine. There's like a set piece or two here and there, like the pod racing scene is, uh, I guess, okay. Um, but yeah, that movie's just dreadful. The question on everybody's Not minds right now, as. exactly, is what do you think is more dreadful, uh, Phantom Menace or Attack of the Clones? I hate sand. It's coarse and rough <laughs> and gets every... Oh, God. Before there was Eller Coltrane, there was Hayden... Uh, Hayden whatever the hell his name is. Uh, the guy that Hayden killed... Christensen. Yeah, he just killed uh, Darth Vader for me. Um, oh, God. I hate, hate this oh. man so much. I really do. Me and my friend at work, um, we used to uh, always quote uh, his lines of dialogue to each other to make to make ourselves laugh if we were feeling down because his line readings are some of the worst in history. A- absolutely terrible. So you know the the biggest the, like the fastest growing subreddit on Reddit right now is the prequel memes Reddit, and it's you know IndieWire covered it because it's get blowing up so much. People are rediscovering all these horrible lines in the prequels. And almost, and like half of them just come from his astonishingly bad lines. What is it like, uh, you're so beautiful. It's only because I'm so in love. No, it is because I am so in love with you. <laughs> so love has blinded you. Oh, God, yeah, it's... <laughs> it's like community theater Shakespeare. Yeah, it, it, that's exactly how I describe it, Michael. Um... The, the film was able to get one Oscar nomination for visual effects, once again, continuing the series uh, streak here. I don't think it even deserved that. You know, th- this is what really started the trend of everything being shot against a green screen. You know, th- there were no practical sets basically built here. And I think it was an early step in that process. Like, there's some awful CGI in that film. Do we remember that? Uh, yes, I do. Totally. Because it was in the early days of... Um, of digital also. I think it was the first film to be fully digital, if, I, if my memory serves me correctly. It was the first, like, big-budget film. Yeah, it yeah. was brutal to watch. Filmmakers hadn't really cracked it yet on, like, how to do it uh, well at this point. So the answer is no. I don't think it deserved any extra nominations, and I would take away its visual effects nomination. Jeez. <laughs> savage. Alrighty. Um, now the final film here to discuss. Episode 3, Revenge of the Sith. Um it's a fact it's the best of the prequel films 
it's still not great. <laughs> Anyone that tries to say it's a great film uh, said that the year it came out and was caught up in the hype of it all. But if, yeah. if you ask him today... It's over. This is the end. Yeah. You'll never see Star Wars again. It's over, Anakin. I have the high ground. Oh, my God. Oh. You underestimate my power. You underestimate... Don't make me kill... Okay, so honestly, I have to say, this is a movie that people say is better, but if you give it a rewatch... It's astonishing, not in a good way, D- to the point that like a couple of years ago, it was the film that whenever my roommates and I would st- would come back drunk, we would put on bits of Revenge of the Sith and just make fun of its dialogue. It is uh, like poor Ian McDiarmid is trying so hard to save that movie. And I think it's worth noting, I've told Matt and Michael before, Fox mounted a pretty big supporting actor campaign for Ian McDiarmid, which is wild. If you go back and look at old Variety and Hollywood Reporter FYCs, there's all these full-page ads of him slathered in, like, wrinkly Palpatine makeup. But he's, like, he's acting in a different movie than the rest of the people. And it's... I almost am on board with the supporting actor train for him in that because his opera scene is legitimately very good best scene in the whole movie in my opinion i love that scene on a dialogue level on a story level um the way that ian mcdormand plays the character um i i would definitely argue that that might be the best scene in the whole movie but like he, then he's saddled with lines of dialogue like Anakin, you must choose, which is Lucas's subtle way of telling us that this is the moment in the film where Anakin must choose. <laughs> I mean, it's oh god. Well, oh, it's here's the deal. So this film uh, was nominated for best makeup, losing out to uh, Chronicles of Narnia, The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. It is the only Star Wars film to never be nominated for visual effects. And I think that is um, personally a crime. Agreed. Um, because I actually like the visual effects in Revenge of the, in Revenge of the Sith a lot. Mustafar is a very impressive fight scene. The whole lava planet battle. That's really cool. It's one of the best fight scenes in film history, in my opinion, as far as one-on-one, like two guys just going at it. Even though it defies logic, physics, it just, the sheer scale and spectacle of it all um, is something to be in awe of. So I would say, in you know, particularly because they would expand the category a couple of years later anyway to five nominees, it's absurd that both that and Harry Potter and the Goblet of Fire were not nominated for visual effects that year. Because mm. both of those films offered some of the best visual effects in the franchise. And, yeah, Revenge of the Sith should have, particularly because, like, Chronicles of Narnia was impressive visual effects-wise, but I think not on the level that Star Wars was. It probably was just franchise fatigue with the voters, but, yeah, it's, you know, this was the only aspect of the film where they were really upping the quality in a major way. And then the last film to uh, talk about uh, here is uh, Rogue One, A Star Wars Story, which we covered extensively last Oscar season in many ways. Um got two nominations for sound mixing visual effects um we've really talked about this film to death i don't know if we need to necessarily go on any more about it but no do you guys feel um it should have gotten that sound effects editing uh nomination or are you guys happy with those two nominations those two losses i don't care <laughs> i didn't like it yeah i i'm shocked that you know the bin uh you know, like uh, Matthew Wood and the sound editors are sound editing royalty. I'm shocked they didn't. Um, I didn't think in the terms of Star Wars films this was anything special, even technically. I thought it was really well shot, but, you know, I think 
they have a lot of nominations. They have a lot of wins. They will get more. I didn't mind a bigger variety of films getting in for sound editing. Um, yeah, no, I, I, I didn't. I, production design, again, I would have considered maybe, but no, overall, I, I, I didn't love this film, so... I think it got about the nominations it deserved. Alrighty, well, uh, next week, uh, the film that will be coming out is going to be Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2, another uh, space action film that is owned uh, by Disney, this being a part of the uh, Marvel brand. Uh, That film will be coming out May 5th, and that'll be our review next weekend on the Next Best Picture podcast, Um, and it will be coming out a day after May the 4th. So, with that said, uh, in advance to all of our dear listeners out there, May the 4th be with you. Hey guys, this is JD from the In Session Film Podcast. Every week on our show, you can join my co-host Brendan and I as we review the latest films that's out in theaters. It also inspires us to discuss a top three list of some sort, and we have a lot of other fun movie discussions as well. It's always a blast. And we also have a show on Fridays called our Extra Film Podcast. This is a show that gives us the space to talk about the latest indies and art films and other classics that we normally just don't get to talk about on our main show. You can find our podcast on iTunes, Stitcher Radio, SoundCloud, TuneIn Radio, Player FM, and more. In fact, you can just see everything about us, including our social medias at InCessionFilm.com. So join us every week. We'd absolutely love to have you. All right, let's answer some fan questions. Alrighty, first up here. Uh, this is from Spoilers underscore Pod on Twitter. What movie will make the most money in May? Um, I have two answers. Okay. I think domestically it's going to be Guardians of the Galaxy. But worldwide, I think it's going to be Pirates of the Caribbean. I 100% agree with you on this. Yeah. I, I, I think that's a good call. and I, I, I think they'll both internationally make buttloads of money because Marvel sells like hotcakes abroad too. Mm-hmm. But... Yeah, that's that's a good call. That his series is historic, and particularly because it's apparently pretty good, actually. Yeah, and do you um, remember Pirates. when uh, On Stranger Tides opened a few years ago, and uh, didn't do as well domestically, but worldwide it was like one of the biggest hits, apparently. Mm-hmm. Well over a billion, wasn't it? Yeah. yeah. So I think there's still a lot of juice left in that franchise. It's certainly internationally. Well, the studio executives definitely agree with you because they greenlit another film. So, I mean, we're uh, certainly going to get it. Um, all right, what else do we have here? We also have another question about the summer movie season uh, from Kate Bailey Java 2 on Twitter. What is your most anticipated movie of the summer season and which one do you groan thinking about? Ooh. Uh, as far as most anticipated, um, War of the Planet of the Apes for me. I think that that is single-handedly the best um, blockbuster franchise going right now. Uh, groaning uh, Transformers uh, the last night. I, I I really, 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 really want to skip out on it so badly, um, but I know I'm going to have to see it. So, Are we speaking in terms of blockbusters, what we're most excited for exclusively? No, or just uh, no, but uh, just anything, really. I mean, there's a lot of stuff coming out. There's The Beguiled. There's uh, It Comes at Night. Uh, there's Yeah, I would say It Comes at Night. I'm really excited. About. Yeah. So, I mean, there's there's a lot, a lot of good stuff happening. Um, I mean... I'm going to have to say Dunkirk, though. <clears throat> yeah. I'm nervous about that. I really am. I, th- I think Nolan is due for a... Um, Nolan's due for a rotten film. What do you mean do for? Uh, you just... I don't... I mean, as if, as in he hasn't already had one? Oh, Interstellar you're referring to? 
Uh, and a few others, but we can leave it at that. <laughs> wow. And his last two films have certainly been disappointing. Yeah, Dark Knight Rises is not as good as many people make it out to be. And Interstellar, while it is a good movie, it's not a great movie, and it's definitely not a perfect movie. There's a lot of problems with that movie. So I think this sounds pretty hard to mess up, though. The question is, can it be really, really good? Because I, th- I think, like, these last two films, the biggest problem was they tried to do too much. This is comparatively simple. So I I don't think it'll actively be bad. It could disappoint, though. But I, I'm excited and curious enough that I think I'll say it's my most anticipated of the summer. Uh, you know what? It's a tough call for me for most anticipated. It's between The Beguiled and The Big Sick. Oh, mm. wow. You know, it's really interesting. Um, I'm going to just throw this out there. I don't care if anybody's listening. Um, I actually was able to snag advanced uh, screening tickets to the big sick, but I don't, th- Ooh, I don't, have you seen it? I don't think I can go though, because it's specifically oh. says on there, you need to be an NYU student to attend. And I'm like, uh, no, <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, I'm going to try go anyway and just see if they'll let me in. Yeah. I, I'm just, I'm. A twenty-eight-year-old student—it's—it's it's all good, man. Yeah, like, I, I, well, I'm supposed to have my student ID with me, so uh, <laughs> yeah, it's not going to fly. Even if I were to say like, "Oh, I'm back from a master's," uh, you know, <laughs> maybe I can like pass it off like I'm press or something, you know. You know, what makes me groan. Well, you are press. You know what makes me groan is the Book of Henry. I think that's gonna. I like Colin Trevorrow. I think that's gonna be awful. Yeah, that's uh, that trailer was something else. <laughs> uh, next question, Mr. Neglia. Uh Yes, at FilmGuy619, Matt St. Clair on Twitter uh, asks us, which musician would you want to see follow in the footsteps of Trent Reznor and Mika Levy and become a film composer? Mm. Um, Sleeping at Last, if anyone knows Sleeping at Last, he's absolutely fantastic, and his music already tends... Uh, there's a lot of strings in his music. It already tends towards kind of cinematic as is. I think he could compose some fantastic film score stuff. Like really, look up a song called Saturn by Sleeping at Last and you'll understand. All I'm going to say. Hmm. This is a tough question because I'm not as immersed in the music world. So I don't really know what's going on there and who's talented, who's not. So I'm just going to maybe say someone from Broadway, like a Tony winner to maybe come in and do orchestrations or even lyrics or a musical. Uh, when I think of just music itself, I think of someone like Alex Lacamoire, who worked on Hamilton. But then you also have uh, people like Jason Robert Brown, who does a lot of uh, composing and writing lyrics for Broadway. Uh, Janine Tesori, who did Fun Home, Lisa Crone as well. People like that, people from the Broadway community I'd like to see come to the film world even more uh, i'm gonna i'm gonna just i'm gonna you know what i'm gonna do i'm gonna throw my i'm gonna throw this out there and i know i'm gonna get hate for it but the man can make a killer beat kanye west hmm no comment <laughs> uh but here's something that you should comment on michael um you're talking about theater a lot why don't you uh throw a little plug in there for uh what we have coming up oh yeah this is very exciting so starting today we're gonna have an addition to the next best picture family with drum roll pr- please <laughs> We are having Next Best Theater, a podcast that will focus on Broadway and the Tonys specifically. We're going to be launching our first episode this weekend, and it's going to be a prediction episode for Tony nominations. 
And then over the next couple of weeks, we'll just be discussing where the race is, who we think is going to win, what we think of the show overall. So if you love Broadway, be sure to tune in because we're going to have a lot of fun. Yeah, and Michael, I'm really, really excited about this. This is going to be uh, spearheaded by yourself uh, and also a collaboration from uh, Dan and Nicole. Uh, be sure, everyone, to check that out when it uh, releases. Um, it's our first expansion into other areas of the year as far as award season is concerned. Uh, and we're really, really, really excited to present this over to you. So. Be sure to have a listen when you do have uh, that chance. We would really, really appreciate it. Uh, Moving on to our next segment here. Uh, We have a trailer to discuss. The trailer is for Matthew Vaughn's follow-up to Kingsman. And this is the sequel known as The Kingsman of Golden Circle. So let's check this one out. Exy, I saw in you what someone once saw in me. Something that can't be taught. The makings of a Kingsman. Being a Kingsman is more than the clothing we wear or the weapons we bear. It's about being willing to sacrifice for the greater good. I hope you're ready for what comes next. And now the end is near And so I face the final curtain my friend I'll say it clear I'll state my case of which I'm certain for what is a man what has he got if not himself Okay, so bombastic, loud. Um, I mean, it's pretty cool that they have Frank Sinatra um, doing the music. Yeah, if you want to pull me into a trailer of something that I'm not necessarily looking forward to, play Sinatra or something classic like that, and you uh, get my attention for a little bit. I love the whole, like, dapper gentleman, you know, vibe uh, contrasted with the... um, kinetic visuals of Matthew Vaughn and the action. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. I really, really dig yeah. that uh, contrast there in styles. And I, I feel like with Kingsman, it's like, um, you know, that it's just, it's like, it's like a gentleman's action movie, you know? And, and that's what makes it so much fun in many ways. You know, I, I also my never in my wildest dreams did I ever expect two things. One for Colin Firth to be a badass action star. And two for him to actually show up in the trailer. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they're, they're not even trying to bury it. I mean, he comes back with an eye patch, which I think is so funny that they're just embracing the absurdity of him surviving. What was it, a point-blank gunshot to the head, might I add? Right, impossible to survive. And they're just like, eh, which uh, it makes me inclined to accept it. You know, it's kind of like, okay. Yep. Yeah, they're, they're owning it. Um, very, very impressive cast in this movie. We don't really get a chance to see them uh, in the trailer. It mostly focuses on Taron uh, Egerton, who I saw a lot of Channing Tatum. Yeah, yes, we did. Uh, you're right. Uh, but I want to say about Taron, I think he's one of the most um, exciting young actors that we have working today, especially after seeing um, him in Eddie the Eagle. 
um, a performance I really could have easily have been um, what's the word I'm looking for here misguided I guess you could say and uh, could have been taken the wrong way he got really really strong noses for it and he was quite good at bringing a lot of uh, depth and emotion to that character I think that he could very well be someone we're talking about on the award season trail in a couple of years yeah, he's he's very good. I mean, he, very very charming to the point he was considered for Han Solo, wasn't he? Uh, yes, he was. And, but in general, the cast is. I mean, I wanted to see some Elton John. I wanted to see some Julianne Moore and some Jeff Bridges. Yeah, it, it, it is an obscenely good cast. So, uh, we did get Channing Tatum with a whip, which I thought was pretty cool. <laughs> it's it's really funny that like if Channing Tatum, I feel like it's just been embracing. Um, his goofiness so much in films. Uh, I, I just, I love this new version of Channing Tatum. I really, really do. <laughs> I never As do. I, he's, I mean, not just comedy, but he was great in Foxcatcher too. Oh, he's amazing in that movie. Foxcatcher, uh, the magic Mike series. He's pretty great in. Oh, you know, he's I, and obviously 21 jump street is. Yeah. He's well, that's so started it all. Yeah. Yeah, it, it, it never ceases to amaze me how someone who 2000, circa 2009 made, I think, everybody groan as just being another, like, Taylor Lautner-style, charisma-lacking heartthrob is now a legitimately good and successful actor and a big draw for a project like this. It's just that he's so self-aware of how to make fun of himself, and that's what people that want to make fun of him want to see. He's tapped into something and it's working for him. I does it feel weird to any of you that he's not in the Baywatch movie? Yeah, yeah, he's he, right. Doesn't he's it feel like very... that, that movie was tailor made for him in many ways? Yes. Um, <laughs> Zach Efron is more than glad to take over. I, I, yeah, I hear you well, on that. They could have both been there, and The Rock is there. I mean, like we're talking about three of the most like good looking people on the planet. So. I don't know if I could handle that much in, in one movie. <laughs> Would have broken the camera at some point. Was <laughs> it heavyweights when uh, the guy is taking pictures and the flash happens and he goes, you broke my camera. <laughs> Wait, if Kristen's listening to put this in terms that she would appreciate, this is like if Michael Fassbender, Army Hammer and Oscar Isaac all showed up at a beach movie together. You hear that? That's the sound of Kristen fainting <laughs> right now. <laughs> so there's um, a shout out. All right. Well, either way, I'm I'm actually excited to watch this movie. Um, I reserve judgment on how I think it's going to be. Uh, I think it could go either way, as it always can with any film. But um, I'm a little bit more skeptical about this one because the first film is, you know, good, not great reviews. Um, it's also a film that I feel it's got a niche audience. I don't know if it was actually like a global uh, phenomenon type of film that everyone knows about. Maybe If the yeah. sequel could expand upon the first film, um, I do feel that the series with a third film will be huge, but I I don't know. I do not know. Matthew Vaughn is very hit or miss for me sometimes. So I think a lot of the goodwill the first film got is because no one was expecting it to be particularly good. And it was such a surprise. I think that was part of what made it such a I wouldn't say a sensation, but, you know, as much of a success as it was. Yeah. I, I personally have liked pretty much everything Matthew Vaughn has done. Like, he, he hasn't really, you know, like, some are better than others, but I thought Kick-Ass is fantastic. Oh, yeah. It, oh, I hated Kick-Ass. Oh that, oh, that was before Deadpool existed, I forgot. Uh, sorry, Michael. No, Kick-Ass, <laughs> is, Kick-Ass is awesome. Sorry, Michael. 
and like it's Stardust and Layer Cake are both very good. His X Men film is flawed, but one of the better ones in that series. That was I mean, fine. He yeah, did a nice job with that. Yeah, it was it wasn't great, but it was uh, it was good. Um, we got to move on to news of the week. We have a lot of stuff to discuss right now, so. I want to start off here um, by bringing down the tone a little bit um, and basically uh, announcing, well, we're not really announcing. I mean, it's all over the, the news and everything, but we had the untimely uh, death of uh, Exclusive. <laughs> this week. <laughs> Will, you make it sound like it's like a big deal. This is the best news story you'll hear all week. It's an I didn't know what you were going to pick this week. It's I didn't the know passing of Jonathan Demi. <laughs> you know what's it's awful? There is... <laughs> Chris Tapley was screenshot. I don't remember which uh, publication it was, but there was one of those that literally prefaced it as exclusive. Jonathan Demi dies, and people are like, "That is so tacky." Yeah, that's as terrible. If, like, this is some scoop you got. Yeah, that is terrible. Um, I have to admit, I, I um, and I feel really, really bad about saying this. I have never seen any of his pre-Silence of the Lambs work. Oh, you got to go back and see some of them. I actually did a project before Ricky and the Flash where I watched all of his movies, except for the concert documentaries, all of his narrative films. And stuff like uh, Melvin and Howard, uh, Something Wild, there's some terrific stuff there. And I think Silence is where he really hit his stride and did even better work going forward. But God, what a talented guy he was. I mean, who could make iconic films in like five genres? You know, that's, that's many. wild. It's tough to do. Um, I know most people will talk about Sons of the Lambs in Philadelphia probably the most. Um, I'd like to throw a shout out there to Rachel Getting Married, which mm-hmm. I think is a really oh, phenomenal I film. I love Rachel Getting Married. That's probably my favorite film of 2008. Yeah, no, it's really, yeah. really good. Deborah Winger should have gotten an Oscar nomination for that. Winger, yeah, absolutely. And Bill Irwin, who is known as the clown and a comedian who knew he had that in him uh what's called manchurian candidate remake yay or nay interesting uh remake i don't know that i love it but he's doing some interesting stuff there is anyone surprised meryl streep was not nominated for that like as much as they love her and as baity as a part that is i'm i'm shocked the academy didn't go for her for a nomination uh i am in retrospect I think it was more the film, maybe people didn't really want to get on board with it, because it was this remake of a classic and not everyone loved it. If it played out today, it would have been a little different, I think, because she's an even bigger star. But then you do have him working with her again with his last film, Rookie and the Flash, which I really urge people to go check out. Even if you saw it and weren't crazy about it the first time, look at it again. I think that's a really underappreciated film. Merle's doing some of her best work lately, and it just encompasses everything that made Jonathan Demme a great filmmaker. He gets to add these concert scenes that they're so great at filming, and then he also gets the family aspect, the drama there, and it's just like a nice mix of love, family, uh, and life. That's what his movies were about. It was about experienced life and all this quirkiness and everything that comes with. So very sad loss and he's so good at great female characters you know i think that that is something really that'll be part of his legacy that he was one of those male directors who consistently brought us great female characters and i think that's so cool Mm -hmm. yeah definitely i would have liked i would have liked to have seen uh more of his work and unfortunately uh we won't get a chance to but uh he's definitely carved out a great legacy for himself uh speaking of legacy carrying on one uh laura dern in heavy talks to become the next president of the Academy of Motion Picture Arts and Sciences. 
I so hope that happens. She's so great. She has really been out there ever since uh, Bruce Stern got that nomination for Nebraska. She was campaigning with him. She was campaigning for herself. She campaigned for her mother, Diane Ladd, back when she was in the conversation for Joy. I mean, she is everywhere lately. She's probably going to win an Emmy for Big Little Lies. Uh, She's just loved. People love Laura Dern. She even has the Star Wars movie coming out. Oh, yeah, I'm so hyped for her in that. In that wild nomination, getting in without any precursors, really, I mean, that's a prime example of how beloved she is. So I, I think, honestly... Particularly now that the story's broken, it's and people are putting all these think pieces about her getting in. I, I think she's easily going to become the new Academy president, and I think she'll be very good at it. And I think she would be the fourth president of the Academy after uh, Betty Davis, Faye Cannon, and now Cheryl Boone Isaacs. To be female? Yes. Oh, that's cool. And then you also have uh, actors turn president, like Betty Davis doing it for a little bit, Gregory Peck. I believe there were a few others, but she would be a nice addition to that list mm. and hopefully still work during it, too. Oh, yeah. That, that, I would like to see her continue to work. I mean, she has just continuously provided us with great performances over the years that have also flown under the radar in many, many ways. Um, she was uh, really, really incredible in um, – jeez, uh, what the hell was the name of that show? Um, Enlightened. Yes. Yes. Oh my god, if yes. If you like Enlightened, you go watch Big Little Lies. <laughs> <laughs> uh, maybe if I have time maybe if I have time this weekend I will. Hey everyone, I'm Jason. And I'm Lee, and we are the Atlantic Screen Connection Podcast. We look to take a magnifying glass to the films you love with a warm atmosphere and a good laugh, new releases, retrospectives, and absolute classics all reassessed and reviewed. Check out the ASC podcast on SoundCloud and iTunes, or keep in the loop on Twitter by following me at film underscore faculty or Lee at Big Pick Reviews. That counts as a promo, right? Right. Alright, cool. Alright, well, I guess we'll cut here. See you later. <laughs> Welcome to the Atlantic Screen Connection Podcast. Let the games begin. Alright, Will. Rest of the news is all yours, buddy. Alright, um, things worth mentioning. World War Z2 is potentially going to be... Not that this is very hard to do, but is probably going to become the best zombie film ever made. Although 28 Days Later is really, really good. Because David Fincher finally, it seems, has been convinced by Brad Pitt to direct World War Z 2. They're old friends, they go back a long way, and hopefully, I'm sure Fincher got final cut on this as part of his contract, and will probably make a very, at least technically impressive, zombie installment. Um, Matt, I know you're also very hyped about that. I'm, I'm, I'm extremely hype. I'm like over the moon hype. I'm scared to death, though, at the same time, because... The last sequel blockbuster film that Fincher ever did was Alien 3, and we all know how that turned out. He was also brought on with almost no time to do pre-production, and he was a less experienced director. So I think this will work out well. Uh, We have, if anyone of our listeners cares about this franchise, The Chronicles of Narnia is going ahead at Sony, I believe, with uh, Joe Johnston, who brought us uh, Captain America... The first Avenger, and my mind's blanking. What was some of his '90s stuff? Jumanji. 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 Yeah, you know he's he's done some classic stuff in the 1990s. Uh, Ewan McGregor is. Wait, 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 wait. We got to go back to Chronicles of Narnia. Do we care? I loved the first one, but I didn't like the sequels. I know, but like, also, are we too far removed? It was already probably too far removed in 2010 when they released a third one. Like that franchise's, you know, fan base really petered out quickly. 
it uh it, you know by the time Prince Caspian came out it was a huge box office disappointment and that was only three years after the original and it just didn't get an audience so you know it lost a ton of money um no I don't I don't think we care if they're gonna be rebooting uh franchises based off of religious books I'd like to see them take another go at the golden compass instead yeah I I would agree with that uh, and also, the silver chair is kind of a weird one to do, if I remember correctly. It doesn't have any of the original characters in it. It's just kind of one of these like off-to-the-side Narnia stories. So it's just kind of random that that would be the film they make. But, yeah. Um, Ewan McGregor is getting into the Disney universe. Again, he played Lumiere. That's right, because he's really getting into the Disney universe as a grown-up Christopher Robin for Disney that's one of, it seems, a lot of Winnie the Pooh-based projects coming out. The Winnie the Pooh cinematic universe. Oh, oh God, no. (laughs) Um, So I don't think there's that much to say about that other than it probably brings him a step closer to an Obi-Wan Kenobi solo film if he's really in with Disney. Um, I don't know about you guys, but I'm pretty excited about the announcement of Glass. Matt, are you pretty hyped about that? Oh, hell yeah. Oh, my God. Ever since that twist at the end of Split, I, I mean, it's out on Blu right now. I don't think it's a bad thing. It's not really it. a spoiler now. Yeah, yeah. It's um, it's happening. <laughs> yeah, everyone complained when Unbreakable came out that it kind of, you know, it waited too long to reveal its twist, which meant that we didn't get to explore the possibilities of where that story would go. And now, now we do. So... The cast of Unbreakable and the cast of Split are returning for a new kind of superhero film coming out next year. And magically, all it really took was one film for people to get really excited about M. Night Shyamalan movies again. It's amazing to me. Well, it's only going to take one film to turn that around, I'm sure. <laughs> yeah, if, if it sucks, then people go. But still, you know, people are hyped. Um, Billy Eitner and Seth Rogen uh, have joined The Lion King playing Timon and Pumbaa. What do we think about that? That is hysterical to me. Billy Eichner, who I adore from Billy on the Street, Difficult People, and just his fantastic Twitter account. He's one of the funniest people working today, in my opinion. He's just this talky New Yorker, and I could so see him as Timon. Yeah, I, th- I think th- I think there'll be a nice voice cast. I know some people are complaining that they don't have people who are necessarily trained as singers, but I think they'll nail the comedic rapport. And I think that's what matters more, if they can really make you feel and love those characters, like we did with Nathan Lane. And who played the other one? Uh, oh, it wasn't a big actor, but I'm blanking on his name. They were great. Um, we have our cam jury out. Mike, other than Will Smith, who is on the uh, this year's jury... I know Jessica Chastain is on it. Park Chan uh, Wook is on it. Oh, he's great. That's cool. Pedro Almodovar is leading it. Yep. Uma Thurman is on one of them. I know. So it's 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 a good list. Um, Will Smith is an interesting choice, but we've had other very mainstream actors on there before. So what do we see them gravitating towards in the competition? Hmm. But do you see Pedro Almodovar going for something like Wonderstruck? <laughs> I don't know what we're getting with Wonderstruck is the thing. It's apparently very ambitious. I mean, it's like a PG children's film. I, I don't know what Wonderstruck is, per se. So it's, you know, it's hard for me to tell if it's something you're going to gravitate towards. But Todd Haynes is very, very good. 
And, you know, Carol got some love uh, a couple years ago, so I see no reason why they wouldn't if it's really good. And obviously my own bias is it's hard for me to get over how excited I am for The Beguiled, so I, I could see it getting a lot of love Oh, I there. forgot that's in competition. I thought it yeah. was out of competition for a minute. Oh, well, in that case, Pedro Almodovar is someone who's always drawn to stories about women. and I know It is in competition, right? I'm not crazy. It is. You, I just remembered when you said that. And not that Pedro Almodovar makes every decision while leading the jury, but I could definitely see something like that being a big hit with him and who he has on the jury with him. Uh, it'll also be a hit with probably with Chastain. Um, let's also not forget too that Marin Ade, uh, the director of uh, Tony Erdman, also is a member uh, here as well. That's so right. It could go a long way. Uh, so moving on, we have that Harvey Weinstein's. Uh, Trans film, Three Generations, has been the subject of a lot of controversy just because the MPAA slapped it with an R rating because of its content matter, and the MPAA loves to kind of bizarrely apply the R and NC-17 ratings based on what they feel uncomfortable about sexually, yet they're cool with movies like Taken getting an easy PG-13. So after a lot of argument just as he did with uh, Philomena a couple years ago. Harvey Weinstein has gotten, and Bully, Harvey Weinstein's gotten the film down to a PG-13. May or may not have been some element of a publicity stunt, but I think also the MPAA is still very uncomfortable about trans films and probably did unfairly rate this film R. So I'm glad that they, you know, since Weinstein really wants it to be a film that's able to be used in education, I'm very glad that they... You know, we're willing to compromise and bring it down to a PG-13. Doesn't always work. You know, he's notorious for trying to get films re-rated like The King's Speech and Blue Valentine. But I'm glad here it did. I hope the film's good. Um, they are launching an Oscar campaign for Get Out already. They're screening yes. Golden Globe and broadcast film critic uh, members in like May. Well, just so that we're clear, that's going comedy musical probably, right? I'm sure it will. Right. I I think it will. And I think that, you know, there's pros and cons, I think, to starting its campaign this early. Absolutely. Do you think they should have just waited until September and said, remember this? It's back. Yeah. I think that's what Chris Tapley thinks they're doing because now uh, genre films that do well with the Oscars, like Nightcrawler and Ex Mahina, um, they all tended to kind of appear as surprise contenders midway through the season. And people were like, wow, it's so cool that we're remembering these films. I think that was what helped them get the momentum for a screenplay nomination. Well, maybe this will be like The Lobster, where it stays for most of the year. And even if it does end up with the screenplay nom only, that would still be pretty cool. I, I would love if Jordan Peele you know, got that for his directorial debut, got a screenplay nomination for his directorial debut. So, yeah, I don't know. I think... I'm very, very confident that it's going to um, contend only in screenplay and screenplay only. Um, yeah, I, I would agree. I think Jordan Peele has a good chance of showing up at, uh, at DGA uh, in the debut director category. The, the debut director, yeah. Um, and I could also see him getting a uh, like a Freedom of Expression Award or something like that. And, and honestly, if it's going musical or comedy, unless we have a stacked year, Daniel Kaluuya could uh, easily get a Best Actor Musical or Comedy nomination because that's, that's, no one really seemed to talk about it. I really liked his performance in that, and 
it's not really a comedic performance, which will give it kind of a leg up over, you know, a lot of the competition. So for the Golden Globes, at least. Um, yeah, I think it's, it's too early to start. I think it is silly to start, but I'm glad that Universal's going to throw a lot of money behind giving the film a push it deserves. And it's made so much. It's almost at $180 million, and it's still playing around my area, at least. I think I'm going to go check it out again before it goes. It, yeah, it is such a sensation. Yeah, Jim Sheridan, great Irish director who did My Left Foot, In the Name of the Father, etc., etc., has a new film coming out that is, uh, is being described as the Irish equivalent of The Great, Esta- Great Escape. It's about a famous historical prison breakout, and it's going to have Cillian Murphy, Jamie Dornan, and Pierce Brosnan leading it. So it's called H-Block. Well, he knows a thing or two about prison movies. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, he's he's always very good. He hasn't really been a big Oscar contender in a decade or so, but I'm sure it will be very good, and it's certainly an interesting-sounding project. True or false, Killian Murphy gets an Oscar nomination one day. Yeah, one day, yeah, I think so. He's very, very good. Um, Paul Verhoeven is going to be directing a lesbian nun film. Now, it was being marketed as Paul Verhoeven reuniting with the L star for a lesbian nun drama, and it showed a picture of Isabel Huppert. She is not starring in it, despite what headlines have made you believe. The woman who played the her neighbor is going to be taking over the lead role and it's marketed Verhoeven's shopping the film at Cannes so you know he's he's had a comeback people are interested in his work as a director again this this could easily be trashy but you know I'm, I'm interested mm, I'm a little skeptical <laughs> yeah I mean like it this does sound like probably he's tapping into his showgirls tendencies here but we'll see uh, Ben Stiller, we've heard word that he's so good in his upcoming Meyerowitz stories. Mike, do you know much about that film? I don't know exactly what it's about, other than it revolves around a family in New York, and it might be in the 70s. So, just hearing that, it almost makes me think of Royal Tenenbaums, or something in that vein. Yeah. I don't know much other than that, but I'm very excited to hear this because I love Noah Bumbach and the cast he's assembled here is astonishing. Is it going to Netflix? Yes. Is that one of those? Okay. But that's it might also get a small theatrical release. I, I would love it if Stiller gets an Oscar nomination at some point. You know, he's, he's been interesting in his dramatic work and I think that'd be pretty cool. He's so good in Greenberg. He is very good in Greenberg. I would agree with that. And then Adam Sandler, when he works with some of these people, too. Is, that, is Adam Sandler in this, too? Yes. Or is that a different... It's uh, Adam Sandler, Ben Stiller, Emma Thompson, and Dustin Hoffman. That is a great cast. Yeah. yeah. We'll see. That's going to Cannes, so we should hear in a few weeks what's going on there. But I'd love to see some of these people up for awards. God, if, if Sandler, after years of being a joke, could turn around and give a great dramatic performance again and somehow be an Oscar contender, that'd be... He's legitimately great in Punch Drunk Love and Funny People. Yeah, no, he it was, he has delivered some legitimate, and that rain over me was pretty good, I heard him too, back in the day. So, uh, he is Netflix's most watched star, apparently, so hopefully he can get Noah Baumbach more of an audience than his films have ever had. Um, 
Other interesting casting news, and we talked about Gemini Man, that long gestating project that Ang Lee's on board for now, the sci-fi. Will Smith, on top of getting in the cam jury and potentially voicing Genie and Aladdin, is going to be, probably going to be the lead. So Will Smith will be fighting Will Smith. I'm glad they opted not to cast Jaden Smith as the younger Will Smith. <laughs> um... And finally, uh, Mike, I know you had mentioned this earlier, Robert Zemeckis has gotten signed on for his next project coming in 2018, starring Steve Carell. Do we know much about it, Mike? Yeah, so this just dropped a few hours ago, so I apologize for being ill-prepared when talking about it. But it's a film, Robert Zemeckis directs Steve Carell, and it's apparently about a man who wakes up from a coma and has no recollection of his life before and does something with his imagination where he can envision different worlds or universes it's going to be very heavy in cgi so i don't know if it's going to be an oscar thing or not but we always have to factor robert zemeckis in some way because he's a talented guy and he has an oscar history oh um it looks like we mentioned the mpaa the mpaa looks like it's getting a new head of uh yeah the the mpaa is getting its leader replaced by um one of barack obama's former cabinet members See what Harvey does? He starts one fight, and then the whole operation shuts down. And maybe, you know, people have complained about the MPAA for a while. You know, we get someone who's potentially more progressive. We'll, uh, we'll see. Could be interesting if we see a turnaround and less of a bias against depictions of sexuality on screen, you know, because that, that is the age-old MPAA thing. It always seems to come up whenever Harvey has a film. So that's an interesting bit of film news. Oh, uh, James Ponsel is moving on from the circle to a making of MTV biopic, I believe. Well, thank well, thank God, because he needs to move away from that movie right away. Um, from the circle, yeah, yeah, it's 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 pretty terrible. I've even had somebody ask me on Twitter, um, "How can you cure cancer after watching the circle?" And I'm like, "Oh my God, <laughs> God, that's brutal." <laughs> yeah, it's uh, it's pretty damn bad, which you will get to hear about in our review this weekend. So. Oh, and Damien Chazelle is doing a TV film. We forgot to mention that as well. Uh, this is before the uh, Armstrong biopic. Oh, um, Mike, I thought you would know more about that. Damien Chazelle's upcoming TV project? Yeah, so it's very vague right now what we have uh, regarding details. But Damien Chazelle is doing a TV series that will be a musical set in Paris. So as if he didn't love uh, Young Girls of Rochefort and the Umbrellas of Cherbourg enough, it looks like he's going even deeper with that. Uh, we'll know details as they come out, but as someone who thought La La Land was the best film of last year, and as someone who loves musicals, I'm very excited to hear this. What did the two of you think? I think he's a very talented director. I'll certainly be interested to see what he does next. I mean, it's it's not a project that immediately has me soiling myself, but it will probably be very good. Well, before that, remember, we also have his Neil Armstrong film, First Man, coming out October of 2018. Which I, which I am legitimately pretty excited about. So we'll see. Talented guy, as proven last year, with his best director win. All right. Is that everything, Matt? Yeah, that would be it. Uh, we're all set then. Cool. Uh, thank you so much, guys, for all of your contributions today on the show. I really, really appreciate it. Uh, everyone that's listening right now, uh, you can subscribe to the Next Best Picture podcast via iTunes, SoundCloud, TuneIn, Google Play, Stitcher, and Player FM. Before we get out of here, Michael, where can I find you on the internet? You can find me on Twitter at MikeMovie. And how about you, Will? You can find me on Twitter at MavericksMovies. 
and you can find me at Next Best Picture. Thank you everyone so much for listening as always, and we will see you all next time. with comic fandom comes a show to help us remember the talents that have inspired us. Whoa, 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 cut. Oh, come on, it wasn't come that on. bad. It's a bit dramatic. Let's just tell them about the show, guys. We are the Canned Air Podcast. Join us weekly for a comedic trip through pop culture. We also welcome some cool comic creators, as well as some of the voice and screen actors that help shape your childhood. Find us on cannedairpodcast.com and on the Evergreen Podcast Network.